0: Alright, thanks guys, I appreciate you guys playing every week for us and all the hard work that goes into that. We're in 1 John, get a little feedback, hot mic, 1 John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles or whatever else you're using to find the scripture, 1 John chapter 3 this morning, we're starting in verse 11, where we're at, appreciate Luke sharing last week, uh, did a great job communicating with us the importance of getting rid of our good behavior and our moral works and understanding what true righteousness means. So we're going to jump into 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 15 this morning. So let's. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen there. So this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I don't know why it says in, but... Love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There's some interesting verses that are found in there. It sounds kind of like a collection of different random statements and. Things like that, I'm going to move this so can see better. Uh, but it's, it's interesting if we get into it in verse 11, he talks about what Christian love is. And basically, we've been talking about this for a couple months now. For us to understand that from verse 11, we actually see that Christian love is righteousness in action. It's God doing a work in us because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working himself out from inside out, and it's righteousness that God gives us in action. It's not you working really hard to be good. Do you understand that? Hopefully you've gotten that in the last two months, that it's not about you trying real hard to overcome something, temptation, sin, where you're just going to work really hard at it, and you're going to get it. It's not that at all. It's actually Jesus Christ working through you, giving you the power that you don't have on your own. That's impossible for you to do on your own. It's Jesus Christ working through you. This message that comes in verse 11 is from the beginning. Anybody know what he means by that? What does John mean when he says, this message you have here is from the beginning? Someone tell me what that means. Come on. I might be wrong. I don't want to raise my hand. Yes? All right, when God uh, created the earth, any other ideas? From the beginning. All right, so his son, God's son, Jesus Christ, from the beginning. Yeah, if you think about it, John, this author, also wrote the book of John, the gospel of John. The first chapter there, many of you probably memorized or are familiar with, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. That Word is capital W, meaning Jesus. And so this message you're receiving is from Jesus. And Jesus has always been with God even though he came down as a baby to be born of Mary, it doesn't mean that was the start of his existence. Jesus, in the form of God, always existed before time. So in the beginning, even when we were created, when the earth was created, this message of of God's righteousness and his love has always been with us and was with the world before we even were thought of as far as your parents go you were thought of before time began as far as God goes. If you look in the book of Psalms, you'll see that. So first he gives us an example, though, of the opposite of love. He throws in this verse, It's really kind of random, and I kind of like it when people talk in random things because when I talk to Candace, sometimes I'll be telling her a story and then I'll jump into another story and then jump over here, and she's trying to follow and she's like, "What? what are you talking about? And I'm like talking about something totally different than what she's thinking of. And I don't know if it's a guy thing, or maybe you girls do that too, I don't know. But it seems like that's what John's doing here. All of a sudden, he's talking about righteousness and this message from the beginning, and then all of a sudden he's talking about Cain from the book of Genesis murdering his brother. It's like, well, John, help us out here. Why did you put that verse in there in verse 12? Well, let's look back. I think we have, do we have that up there, Ryan? Uh, Genesis... Uh, Four, 2-9. through nine. Yeah, there it is. It's kind of small, but you guys can read. You're still young. Uh, and again, she bore his brother Abel. This is Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. That's a weird expression. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel's brother. And then when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so here's that story. Some of you may not be familiar with it. Some of you may be familiar with it. These are Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. And God commanded them to offer sacrifices. And God instructed them what their their sacrifices should look like and what their sacrifices shouldn't be. And the sacrifices were supposed to be the best of what they had. The best that they could offer, and God gave them in specific instructions. And Cain offered a sacrifice that was not worthy of God Himself. And so he didn't follow God's instructions. And if you look, go back to those verses, if you look here, it actually says in the middle, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? It's just, to me, it's kind of weird. Like, his face is fallen. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, meaning, you don't follow my commands, you don't follow my instruction clearly, then guess what? Sin is crouching at the door. Listen to this statement. This isn't even really part of the lesson, but this is a powerful, not part of my notes, it's part of the lesson. This is a powerful statement. Read that with me. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Picture sin. Picture Satan. He's crouching, waiting to devour you. In sin. Its desire is for you. He wants to rule over you. He wants sin to reign in your body. And the reality is this. Some of you say, well, I'm a Christian. Satan can't touch me. You're wrong. Now, Satan can't indwell you as a Christian. He can't get inside of you and make you do stupid things. But Satan can crouch and have his demons crouch. And He can have things working all around you to just get you to fall and to stumble and to sin and make your life worthless for the Gospel. And God is saying to Cain, hey Cain, pay attention. Pay attention. Because sin is crouching at the door and He gave him a good warning, but yet his anger and his hatred and his jealousy overtook him and he killed his own brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brothers. So he's talking about this jealous murder. Our response oftentimes to jealousy is anger. Girls, girls, listen up. It's not time to talk. I know. I know. Weekend's crazy. We're trying to catch up. Do that later. So it's important for us to get this. And that's why I tell you not to talk, because I want you to get this that we aren't all that different than Cain. Some of us are like, wait, he killed his brother. I would never do that. Some of you have thought about it. I guarantee you. Some of you are like, there's no way I would go to those extremes. But your anger and your jealousy and your hatred is equal to that of Cain's. Just because you don't act on it doesn't mean you're not sinning in your heart. And so he's given us an example of the opposite of true love. The opposite of the love that John is talking about and that God talks about is this hatred that consumes us. I think we have that quote up there. Uh, Go to the next slide. I think it's up there. Uh, There's a quote. In saying this, John touched a sensitive nerve. Since hatred toward another Christian is often prompted by a feeling of guilt about one's own life as compared with that person's. Read that quote again on your own and think about it. You think about what this is saying. John is touching on something sensitive to you guys in this room. Because the reality is this. Oftentimes, when someone does well, you don't like it. You may act like you like it. I'm so glad you got that fill in the blank. I'm so glad you did so well at this. I'm so glad, and you put on that fake smile, you might pat them on the back, give them a hug, and say, you're awesome, and pump them up, and you're like, inside, you're like, man, I wish I got that award, man, I wish I got that attention. Man, I wish my mom and dad, they talked to me that way. And inside, you're full of jealousy and anger, and it turns into hatred, because you're consumed with your own self. The opposite of love. Could someone uh, tell them we can hear them out there for me? That's really annoying, that cackling that I hear over and over again. I don't know if it annoys you, but it annoys me. So it's important for us to understand this, that our hatred and our jealousy and our anger, it all exists here in the heart. And it's no different than what Cain had for Abel that led to murder pretty serious stuff some of you you try to qualify your sin you're like come on I'm just a little jealous right I'm just a little angry I I I just despise that person just a little (laughs) you know but the reality is this your hatred is equal to that of Cain's which led the murder of his brother and that's the opposite of what the love that John's talking about here so the world's hatred He gets into verse 13 a little bit. He says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You know, I hear some adults talking, and I say adults because they're older than you, not older than me, but I hear some people talking, and I hear them surprised at the news. Like, man, I can't believe that's on the news. Look at that. There's murder. There's rape. There's all these things going on, and people are so surprised for some strange reason that there's all that going on in this world. And I'm like, why are you surprised? It's a world full of people that don't know God. And we expect them to not hate? We expect them not to be jealous? No, that should be expected. And John says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. That's normal. The world is full of hatred. What you should be surprised at, though, is Christians full of hatred. Christians full of jealousy. Christians full of anger. That's what we should be surprised about. And somehow it's accepted among our friends. It's accepted among you, and you're okay with it. It's like that little thing I talked about before your little pet that you keep, right? Your little pet of sin. And you have it over here, and it's your own little thing, and and you pet it, and you say, This is my deal. I'm not getting rid of it. You're so nice. You're so comforting. Being angry at some, someone sometimes feels really good, right? Being jealous, it kind of it puffs yourself up and makes you feel good. And he said, no, we should be surprised when we see hatred among Christians. We should be surprised when we see the opposite of love among Christians. Verse 14, the evidence of love, the evidence that we're not dead anymore is love for other Christians. Verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So we get into zombies. Uh, Again, this is random, but zombies are interesting. I did a search on Google for zombies and images, and I couldn't find any that I could put on the screen, so I just put the word, because pretty graphic stuff out there about zombies, unfortunately. But this is a great illustration for... What John is saying here, he's saying very, very specifically, we know that we have passed out of death into life. And this is the way I look at Christians, or people that call themselves Christians, that continue to live in darkness. They're like zombies. What are zombies like? Give me some characteristics of zombies. Dead brain, half dead, what else? Was that? Him in the morning, nice, yeah. Creepy. Sometimes no head. Yeah, you've been searching Google too. Um, I put down a few things: hollow eyes, like their their eyes are just empty or just non-existent. I put like no willpower; they just have to go after uh, brains, right? Uh, they're fragile, actually. You know, if you actually, in, in depending on the movie you're watching. Sometimes they just, if you hit them, they like crumble, you know. They're, they're determined, but they're also deceived. And, and that's all the descriptions that I can think of, and there's lots more about people that maybe call themselves Christians or people that are Christians that are deceived by the enemy are like zombies. They're supposed to be made new. They're supposed to be alive in Christ, living love and pouring out love to all those around them, but they're living like a zombie, Walking around in anger, jealousy, hatred, and all other kinds of sin, that the zombies just walking, they don't know what they're doing. They're just, they're, they're fixated, they're focused, they're, they're really disturbed by what's happening. And their sin takes control and makes them act like a zombie. And then like, later on, they may break out of that zombie mode and like, what in the world am I doing? Why did I just do that? I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? And it says you continue to act that way, but John is saying, look, you're made new. You, are, you have new life inside of you if you're a Christian. Listen to these two verses. I think we have them up there. Colossians 2.13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. You were made alive by Jesus Christ. Then John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. So what makes you different than the rest of the people? What makes you different than a zombie who's a walking dead person is that the deadness in you was destroyed by Jesus. The deadness in you was made new. So that is gone. Jesus Christ died on the cross to make you new. So why do we continue to live as zombies? Why do we continue to live as dead people filling the needs of the flesh with dead things? When Jesus Christ came to give you new life and an evidence of that new life is love. As you abide in Christ, that love will come out. That zombie behavior will disappear. And a life of true Christian love will come out. And some of you, when you hear love, I know it's, it's, it's the world's definition of love that you're hearing. And I want to correct that. When you hear love, you know, and I picture it even in like Sydney and Kendall's mind, are you like, know, love, what is that?
1: It's just, you know, I love my
0: stuffed animals. You know, I love going to eat somewhere that's not my house. I love my pet. I may love my mom and dad. And we get this picture of love that is superficial, this love that is on the surface, when in reality, the love that God is talking about here, that John is talking about here, is a love that transcends all those things. And is a supernatural love that can only come out from someone who is a Christian abiding in Christ. A Christian spending time in the Word. A Christian pursuing God and letting God pursue them. A Christian who is following after the things of God and in prayer. So he finishes up with verse 15. Verse 15, he says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow, that's powerful. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You hate your brother Now he's saying brother being a Christian, fellow Christian, not brother. (laughs) I don't have any brothers, Well, cool, I can hate my sister. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying a brother meaning any Christian out there. He's writing the Christians, remember, in 1 John. And he's saying if you have hatred toward another Christian, you are the equivalent of a murderer. That same hatred that consumed Cain to kill his brother Abel is alive inside of you if you hate other people. And if you continue on in your hatred, again, in in 1 John, he, he makes this very clear. If you continue on in this pattern of hatred, in this habit of hatred, then the reality is this. You don't have eternal life abiding in you. Because there should be a difference. There should be a change. There should be obvious. Listen, guys, it's important for us to get this it's important for you to understand that if you continue in that hatred, if you continue in that sin, and it's alive inside of you and there's nothing in you that says stop. There's nothing in you that says, hey, this isn't right. I need to change. I need to repent. Then Jesus Christ might not be alive inside of you. I shouldn't say might. Jesus Christ isn't alive inside of you. He's not. You're fooled. You're deceived. And you're believing that you're one thing when you're really not. And you need to understand that's very important to get that straight because if it continues to happen and continues to be a habit in your life and there's no draw, there's no push to change, there's no drawing of the Holy Spirit to really challenge you about whatever it is that you're doing, including hatred but many other things, you may, you may need to get before God and talk to Him about it and say, God, show me. Why is it that I don't feel anything? Why is it not a feeling like emotion, but why is it that I, I don't feel this draw to change, to repent? Because that's between you and God, and possibly something you believed about yourself isn't true, that you may not know God. That you, you may not know Jesus. And so it's important for him, uh, us to understand verse 15. Abiding in Christ. Look at the last part of verse 15. You know that no murderer has eternal life. Abiding in Abiding in Jesus results
1: in love for other people. Results in that love. If you are a Christian, love should come out. Love should be in your heart. Love should be acting out around you. You wonder why we do service projects? not to get you guys together and take you out of your mom's jacket. It's not to uh, be able to say to Pastor Gary, hey Pastor Gary, look at the job I'm doing. Can you give me a raise? Look at all these people that came out to help this lady to feed her yard work. Out. That's not why we do that stuff. It's because we love Jesus. Jesus' love lives inside of us. And now we can't help but love others and act on it. And if you don't have that in you, if you don't have that love abiding in you, then you need to repent. You need to confess your sin to God. And say, God, I understand this hatred exists in God, this selfishness exists this this wrong, all this sin exists, and I need to confess it. Just because you trusted Christ as your Savior doesn't mean you don't need to confess anymore. He died for your sin. But you need to continue this relationship by confessing to God. You don't lose your salvation when you don't confess. You lose that alignment. You lose that love. You lose that connection. You that confidence happiness. Lord God, I pray that you'll we'll understand the importance of showing your love, the importance of abiding in you the challenge to our hearts today of hatred i and anger.